there, global citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you live from Brooklyn, New York. It's a nice but very chilly morning here. And we are on the East Coast for our discussion today. My guest is in Washington, D.C., I believe. And her magic lies in the intersection of culture, science, and business. Her passion for helping individuals connect to their cultural identity has secured her a solid place in history as the co-founder of African Ancestry Incorporated. That's AfricanAncestry.com, which is a pioneer for a new way of tracing African lineages using genetics and a new marketplace for people of African descent looking to trace their roots more accurately and reliably. She travels the world helping people demystify their roots and inform on identities so that they may better understand who they are by knowing where they are from. With a career that spans nearly 30 years, she has become the go-to expert on DNA-based ancestry tracing for people of African descent. Dr. Gina Page, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So as always, we get started with my question, where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? Hmm. Well, genetically, I'm from the Fulani people in Nigeria. Uh, locally, I'm in Washington, D.C., home of the late great godfather of Go-Go, Mr. Chuck Brown. Okay. <laughs> and my craft, ooh, my craft is helping people make their dreams come true. Oh, that's lovely. I like that. That's awesome. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about growing up in D.C. You mentioned Go-Go. So a, a young girl from D.C., and I lived in D.C. That was where after... So fun fact for you folks, Gina is a Stanford alum, as I am, and that's kind of how we made this connection. And so after I finished university, I went on to do Teach for America in D.C. Mm -hmm. And so I lived in upper, well, Silver Spring. I call it upper Northwest, kind of, sort of, <laughs> but I lived in Silver Spring and then I discovered that lovely go-go. So tell us a little bit more about growing up in D.C. and how you became this global person that you are. Well, growing up in D.C. definitely uh, informed how I view myself, so my identity, and how I view the world. I come from, when I grew up in D.C., it was a predominantly Black city. It was Chocolate mm -hmm. City. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up the friend of friends whose parents were doctors and lawyers and political figures, professors. You know, I saw a solid black middle class and I, I said the friend of friends, but my parents as well. Um, so I, I was familiar with a solid black middle class that there's nothing black people can't do. Mm. We have black mayors, black leadership, black businesses. And so that's really how I view myself and how I view the world is that black people run things and <laughs> uh, we are the originator of all things. Mm -hmm. And so as that, we need to celebrate who we are and we need to remain connected to the global African diaspora. There's no us and them as far as I'm concerned. It's a we. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm 
the daughter of immigrants. And so I grew up in Colorado. And so I never felt that us and we, but that is that is a reality for a lot of Black Americans versus um, African or Caribbean uh, Americans that immigrate. So, so that being able to say, you know, and that's by design and sometimes just by assimilation patterns where you have families that want, and I think your experience in D.C., having a solid middle class and it being a city kind of similar to living in Africa, right? So living in Africa, everything's black, you know, there are no limitations. So it's just like, I could do this, I can do that, you know, whatever, what have you. So thinking about that concept, so did it ever start to occur to you at some point in your life? That that there's a division, a separation yes. between mm-hmm. Africans and African-Americans? Or us and them, right. Mm-hmm. Us and them, hmm Yeah, I mean, I think so. I can't remember growing up thinking that there was a division. I grew up understanding that there wasn't this kind of, I guess, a global African culture. I didn't necessarily, until maybe I was late in high school, really think about the fact that there are differences between, you know, Senegalese culture and Ghanaian culture and, Mm -hmm. you know, Kenyan culture. But Grew up certainly knowing that there was an African culture, which sounds kind of silly to say now, but you know mm-hmm. that was the past. But I didn't, I didn't firsthand experience an us and them. But uh, yeah, I can't say that I firsthand experienced it until later. You okay. know, until right. until mm-hmm. going to college, until being an adult and seeing the misconceptions and the negative stereotypes. Well, actually, you know what? When I think about the stereotypes, Florence, I did. I was aware of those as a kid, but it wasn't mm-hmm, firsthand. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's I, what I, I grew up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't yeah. experience it like seeing African neighbors or, and them being mistreated, but I certainly was well aware of the negative stereotypes and that they were negative stereotypes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I would, I would say, yeah. So. I understood it and, you know, it melted away slowly. And I think that a lot of us, you know, tried as hard as we could to be American, but we go home and we're eating, you know, banku fufu, jollof rice, all those things. So, but yeah, there were the the African derogatory comments and things like that. So I was just wondering if that turned in your head growing up at all and kind of maybe, and maybe in the subconscious kind of fed into your, you know, we are one. So we're going to get there somehow, some way. Well, you know, I did my junior year abroad, most of my junior year abroad at Stanford. I I went to study and tour in France. Okay. And all of my friends were African or from the French West Indies. Okay. And so when I came home the summer of after my junior year, I actually did a DC Dakar sister cities exchange and I went to Dakar. Okay. Senegal for the summer, Uh supposedly to work, but Turned out I, all I did was hang out and chill with my friends. But that's not a problem when you're a junior college. Right? It's not. Uh, I'm not mad at it. I remember coming out of the airport, you know, driving out of the airport in Dakar and seeing people carrying things on their heads, women uh-huh. carrying things mm-hmm. on their heads and being completely shocked because I thought that was a negative stereotype. I didn't think that that really existed. I thought we were just being told that, you know, that this was how it was and that it was a bad thing instead of just that it was a way of life. Mm. Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Okay, that's very interesting. 
So I did, you know, I think there was some subconscious stuff going on there. I didn't, yeah, but I didn't know yeah, what was, yeah. what was real and what wasn't. Right. 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 So your first, so was that, so was your um, travels during university your first time going abroad? Um, no, it was my first time traveling to the continent. It wasn't my first time traveling abroad. Oh, okay. So let's take you from DC to where you went next. So you Somehow there are some technical machinations that kind of created the genie that we're seeing today. So tell us more about how you planned your journey and plotted your path to becoming the, the woman you are today. Well, that's a, a really easy question. That might be the easiest question you asked me today. Okay. I didn't have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was zero plan. It's, uh-huh. I fe- sometimes I feel embarrassed because I really did not have a plan. Like, at Stanford, I didn't even know about the career planning and placement center. I just, I had no idea what I was going to do when I left college. Zero plan, Florence, zero. Even starting African ancestry, there wasn't really, I didn't write a business plan. But anyway, I'm jumping ahead. So I was very organic. I know that now. I know that word. I was very organic. I just did the, studied what I thought was interesting, what I thought would be fun. And I should say, and what was practical. So I got a degree in economics, but I just kind of fell into that and graduated, didn't have a job, a career trajectory and ended up back home where I then started doing things that were interesting to me. So I started a business that was a care package delivery service because we didn't have those at Stanford. So I did that with a friend here in DC. And that really got me thinking about business and coming up with product ideas and how do you get convince people to buy your product. And I also did some sports marketing. And in, through the mm. course of that, I realized that I needed to, you know, I couldn't live off my parents forever. And I needed, I had this Stanford degree. I couldn't be like, uh, I don't know. So I started looking at people who had jobs that I thought I'd be interested in. And they tended to be advertising and marketing positions. Uh-huh. And all of those people had MBAs. So I was like, okay, well, then I'll go get an MBA. I'm dabbling in business. These people have MBAs. And so I went to the University of Michigan thinking that I would do advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, University of Michigan Business School. But there, the focus really wasn't on advertising. Advertising was sort of a stepchild. And so I allowed myself to get herded, if you will, into product management, which actually was a good thing Mm. because that kicked off my career in product management at companies like Colgate Palmolive, which is Colgate Toothpaste, Palmolive Dish Liquid, and Mm. then Sara Lee Bakery, and learning how to manage a business, learning how to understand a profit and loss loss statement, learning how to be responsible for production and promotion and planning, that thing that I'm not the best at. And that really made me desire to own my own business and work for myself. And that's probably what was the motivational trigger that got me started Mm. To in pursuing the idea of pursuing entrepreneurship as a lifestyle or, you know, as a career. You said something really interesting in terms of product management being kind of the the catapult for you to move into managing and being an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of times, you know, people don't really know what product management really is. So can you tell us a little bit more about the intricacies of being a product manager and what that is? Yeah, sure. So 
but back in the day, I don't know what it's like now, Florence, but <laughs> too many years ago, um, the product manager was really the part, pro- the product management function in, com- in a company was the business management. So they, it was the hub for making sure that, a, or, or not making sure, it was the hub for developing or creating the product, working with R&D research and development to bring the product to life working with marketing and advertising to make sure that there was a positioning and messaging that worked for the product, certainly working with research to make sure that you understood your consumer and their needs, working with sales, working with finance, and working with production. So you really were responsible for all elements of the marketing mix, but also the business mix to make sure that the product went from conception to, in in this case, the shelf on the grocery store, in the grocery store aisle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great. That's a great summary. And so we can absolutely see how that kind of training definitely puts you in a position to understand how to develop, run, manage, implement on your own, on your own business. Yeah. Until you do it. For yourself, and then you're like, ah, wait a minute. right, 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 right. <laughs> I, I didn't learn this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let me take a little bit of a, a veer, and I usually ask this question, kind of why the where. And you mentioned where you're from, and you you gave, you know you gave the Fulani background as well as the the DC background. Can you give us a little bit of genealogy? So how did your your family come to be living, uh, working, and playing? where you are or where they are? Uh, So my parents are Howard University alumni. Okay. And so that's how they ended up in D.C. They both got to D.C. from Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. my mother's side of the family got to Philly from Atlantic City, New Jersey. Mm. And then I think that the lines before that came from, from Georgia and Florida and Virginia on my father's side, they got to Philadelphia. My grandparents got to Philadelphia from Bluefield, Virginia. And so um, Virginia, we have deep roots. The Page and Saunders lineages have deep roots in Virginia. Okay. Okay. So kind of Southeast and East mm-hmm. Coast is, mm-hmm. is your most recent lineage. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And what part of D.C. are you in? So I live in Northeast DC. Okay. I used to, my school was on the border. I taught at Paul Junior High School, which was at. I went to Paul Junior High School. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I sure did. I went to Paul for seventh grade. I was a seventh grade science teacher. That is so funny. Yeah. Yeah. What are the chances? Yeah. What are the chances? And you know, I drive past Paul every day that I go to our office space. I, mm-hmm. I drive past. I live very close to, to where Paul is. That's okay. Funny. Okay. I love that neighborhood. That's why I was like, yeah, it's right on the, the edge. So mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, the dots are connected. I know. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. So speaking of speaking, I'm just going to go straight into this question, which is my global speak. So you've traveled the world and you're doing this work. Before we get into into the work, we want to hear what you hear. So I ask you to share a word, a phrase, or a saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as a global speak. Oh, wow. Huh. <laughs> I'm laughing because there, 
DC definitely has some local, global speech. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Now that you're asking me, you're putting me on the spot. I'm like, uh, what would I say? Oh yeah, there's so much DC. I can, I can rattle them off. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, wait. Let's see. I I don't cave under pressure. Let's see. I can do this. <laughs> what is something I say all the time? You know what, y'all. Okay. Right. I, y'all is definitely a global word. Yeah. Because it's said, I mean, I don't hear people saying it in other countries, but when you say y'all anywhere in the United States, everybody knows what that means. Yeah. you're. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny. It's so funny you say that because I was literally thinking yesterday, I was like, you know, I, I often just on the word y'all, like literally I was thinking on the word y'all. I was thinking, maybe thinking of writing or something like that, but I was literally like thinking about the word y'all. So that's so funny. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> right. From D.C. to Brooklyn, you know, it uh-huh. doesn't matter wherever yeah. you go. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, good. So that's a great local speak. We know it. We we understand it. And it says a lot. Um, okay. So let's get to Ancestry. So you were this product manager and you were, you know, working for uh, multinational corporations, doing that kind of work. And then you had a brainchild. How did, how did Ancestry become a reality? Or African Ancestry. Let me just make sure. African Ancestry. How did African Ancestry become your brainchild? Well, okay, so I'm not going to take credit for the idea. My cousin, so I have a a cousin that I'm very close to. She is a narrative personality psychologist. She's a full professor at Howard University. And she was doing some research with Dr. Rick Kittles, who is my business partner, on the psychological impact of people knowing where they're from in Africa. This was before any company was formed. He was building the database and And so she was collaborating with him on research. And she knew that he wanted to commercialize the research. So she introduced the two of us. And, you know, your family is your biggest champion. She's like, oh, my cousin knows how to start businesses. She can help you. And so Dr. Kittles and I were introduced and had several meetings. And we decided to partner And I would commercialize his research and make it available to the world. Because as a researcher, you know, he's in the weeds, he's in the the analysis, he's not thinking about everybody else. But when the community found out that he was able to identify African ancestry, he got inundated with requests Mm, to do uh it for them. Mm-hmm. And so this takes you back to economics, Florence, because I was studying economics and the only thing I really understood well during my economics training, unfortunately, was supply and demand. Mm-hmm. When there, when there's a demand, the market creates a supply to meet it, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was this demand for by people for a way to know where in Africa they come from. And so Dr. Kittles and I created African Ancestry to meet that demand. So the community created African Ancestry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, That's what mm-hmm. I okay. to say. And I, I, my, I was attracted to the idea, not because I wondered where I was from or not because I had done all this family research. It was none of that. For me, it was the opportunity to use the skill set that my parents and I had invested in. Right. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. to create something that has never existed before. Because when you work at these big companies, you're not inventing anything new. You're not developing anything new. You're It's a new flavor. Right. Or, you know, you put cheesecake in a bite form instead of in a pan form. Or, you know, you put some bubbles in the dish liquid. It's not, nothing's new. But this, mm-hmm. this idea of you, a, pro, a DNA product that can tell Black people or anybody where exactly in Africa they come from was brand new. Like So as a marketer, as a product creator, that was just, that was a no brainer. But then most of all, to do it for the group of people that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was what solidified the decision to work with Dr. Kittles to create African Ancestry. Got it. Got it. Got it. So, so how do you commercialize his research? So he's doing this research. So he's going back and forth to different African countries, I'm assuming. I mean, I don't, I don't know how a researcher or geneticist, or is he a geneticist? He is a geneticist. Yeah. So so. he was collecting data. So he he collected data from various sources and resources, some on the continent, some that was already in the public domain, a lot of research partnerships. He didn't do a great deal of travel back and forth, but he was collecting the data and analyzing it. Mm-hmm. So when you want to commercialize that, you have to create a way for people to give you their data. Mm-hmm. And then you have to package the result in a way that's meaningful for them to understand. And right. so that's what I did. I created... Mm-hmm the test kit and how the collection process. So the product and the process, Mm -hmm. we're going to make this available to people. So they have to have a place to come. So there has to be a website, right. Or there has to be an order form or what, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm dating myself now, but, um, and then what are we (laughs) going to send them (laughs) order form? Right. No such thing anymore, but what are we going to, how are we going to collect their money? What are we going to send them? Um, yeah. Where are they going to send it back? How are we going to get it from the mailbox to the lab? Um, right. You know, all those types of things. And then after how much time is that going to take? And then once we get the answer, how are we going to give them the answer? And then, which we had not I don't think I necessarily thought of initially, how are we going to support people once they have the answer? If they've got all these questions. Mm-hmm. So that is the thought process, the planning process is creating that whole chain of events and tools along the way to make it happen. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. I get it. So this is back in 2000, almost 20 years. Wow. Yep. 20 years of data. So you have 20 years of people coming to you and saying they want to know where they're from and you have data from across Africa that is feeding people with information. So what did you, so so tell us how you figured out how to package it in a way to continue to bring people, because that's ultimately what has brought more people to you is that the information mm-hmm. that people had and the support I think that they had after is motivating others to come. How did you crack that nut? Still trying to crack that nut. <laughs> um, you know, we went very grassroots. Our approach mm-hmm. was grassroots by default because Dr. Kittles and I self-funded the company. Mm, mm-hmm. So this was before the days of incubators and pitch competitions and all that kind of stuff. We just 
We're like, we'll put our money in here. And, and we had the critical part. We had the database yeah. of African lineages. That was the most expensive part of the equation. And mm-hmm. so um, we took a very grassroots approach. So it was strictly PR. We were able to get media coverage because it was a novel idea. People were calling it the 21st century route. We got LeVar Burton to take the test for us. So then we mm. said, you know, we could tell Kuta Kinte where he's really from. Yeah, um, I remember that. <laughs> we did a lot of a lot of traveling and speaking yeah. and churches and centers and living rooms and just very, very grassroots. And so our business grew by word of mouth, which was important because imagine 20 years ago almost telling people, give us your DNA right? and we're going to tell you where you're from in Africa. First of all, they're not giving you their DNA. Second of all, they don't care where they're from in Africa. And third of all, that's not possible. Y'all can't do that. So um, it has been a very, a very long process of building credibility, mm-hmm. building trust, mm-hmm. and quite honestly, grinding, like just Sweat, yeah. sweat equity yeah. put right. into it. Now today, we've got so many more tools at our disposal. We've got Facebook sure. advertising, yeah. digital right. advertising. And, right. you know, you can do your own, you can do videos yourself and post them on YouTube and you can host groups. And But to get to this point took a lot of being at festivals, just putting ourselves physically in front of people so that they could see and touch us and judge for themselves if we were legit and if we were telling the truth and yeah, this is real and understanding so much education as the other major part is educating the community. So one of the things that we don't talk about, Florence, that African ancestry has done is increase the genetic literacy of Black people. Mm -hmm. Because before we start, first of all, none of these other companies existed when we started. And then second of all, the only time we were talking about DNA was either to incarcerate us or to get us off of being wrongfully incarcerated. Anything else related to us in that way was also negative. The Tuskegee syphilis experiment, like there just was so much rightful distrust of how science handles the very important personal data of Black people. And so we had to do a lot of education, which set the stage for these other companies who then decided, oh, well, I guess Black people are important. They didn't have as much of a hurdle Mm -hmm. because we had already started the conversation. Sure, sure, sure. So speaking of that and that apprehension, privacy, So I think that's another roadblock that a lot of people are like, oh, you know, if it gets out there, you know, what's going to happen? Who's going to, you know, they're going to come for me, that kind of thing. So so how have you and how do you deal with the privacy aspect? So officially, the way I deal, we deal with it is African ancestry has never and still does not sell or share our customers' personal, financial, or genetic information. So everybody whose DNA is sent to us can be assured that their DNA is destroyed after we determine a result. Mm -hmm. That has been the cornerstone of our company. So that means that 
we don't have a database of our customers' genetic information. Mm. There's nothing to sell to pharmaceutical companies. There's nothing to research. It doesn't exist because we destroyed it because we're Black people. And Dr. Kittles is a Black researcher. And he, we knew, we understood our consumer, our customer. And we knew that if we didn't do that, yeah. we wouldn't. We wouldn't be sitting here talking 19 years later. But again, that's where the credibility and the trust, all that is what we had to build over years to to make people comfortable. Now, I think that people have, I think it's a valid concern. What are you going to do with my DNA? And you should definitely ask the question. And I think people should ask the question of the white companies too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because that question is asked of the black company all the time and it's not often asked by right. the white company so i'm glad that people are starting to expand their who they question but unofficially florence what i tell people is it really depends on how important the information is to you because when you go when you go give blood you don't ask what are you doing with my dna yeah yeah when you do a drug test at your job you don't ask, what are you going to do with my DNA? Mm-hmm. When it's something that's important to you, you don't even think to ask. Right. It's important. You want it. And so you, it doesn't even dawn on you that there should be a limitation between you and getting what you want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think this kind of starts to straddle that informed consent, you know, dialogues that we're starting to have. Like, how informed are you about where and who and how you are treating and understanding your body and your body byproducts? Right, right. Yeah. And it's good to see that people are becoming increasingly aware. But I just want to encourage people who are thinking about it and the privacy part is what's keeping them from doing it. Mm-hmm. Your DNA is already out there. If you've been in the military, if you've given blood, like don't let that you from getting something that could transform your life and something that's very important and central and critical to your identity. Don't let that fear. And one of the things that people can do, Florence, is just not give their name. Like mm. I've had a number of people yeah. who, when before we, when we used to use paper. <laughs> back in mm-hmm. the day I was like don't put your name I don't care what your name is I don't need to know who you are right yeah that's true yeah yeah and then if something were to happen or if you are working with a company that you know doesn't honor your consent then at least they don't know who you are yeah 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 exactly 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 but you know just thinking about where this kind of technology and where this information could be helpful, you know, so you've had all this data on Black people in particular, and we have could have more information on us, to be quite honest. We know the studies kind of pass us by and things like that. What are your thoughts on how potentially, and I know, I know your policy is that, but will there ever be a time where you do ask for consent so that you can support researchers and research and medical breakthroughs and things like that with, with your information? I certainly hope so. That's my vision. Mm. Because we have built up the trust and credibility. Yeah, we've proven to black people that we're not here to exploit us. Yeah, ourselves. It's it, it talking about us and them, right? It's, yeah, we are us like it. We are African. We are our customers. It's one big family. And so right. I think that we're in a unique position to be able to 
work with Black scientists and Black researchers to help Black people be in better control or be better informed about their physical well-being. We're kind of focused on your psychological well-being right Right, now, right? but there's a huge opportunity with their physical well-being. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, we'll, we'll, we'll support you as much as we can to get, to get to those points. Yeah. So your relationship now, see, this is a, this has been mostly U.S. facing, obviously, because this is where most people do not know so much about where they're from. But, you know, me being from Ghana, knowing my parents and probably my grandparents where they're from, there's a huge opportunity, I'm thinking, for Africans to also know more about their ancestry, because we didn't have borders when my ancestors were around, and now we do. So so what is your rollout, and how are you approaching Africans and Caribbeans and, and other Af- Black people of the diaspora in terms of being able to reach them and give them data? So you're right. We are focused primarily on the United States. Our next line, our next area of focus is the Caribbean, Canada, mm-hmm. Europe, Okay. Places where enslaved Africans were taken to. Mm-hmm. And then our focus on Africa is more one of helping people get to Africa to explore the cultures that they share mm-hmm. ancestry with, rather than helping Africans on the continent learn more about their ancestry there. Okay, I think that's been our rollout because it's more consistent with our mission, we really were answering the question. We started off answering the question, where were my people before the slave trade? Got it. Got it. But, you know, the more that I travel the continent and the more that other mainstream companies are going into the continent to collect the DNA of Africans, the more I hear continental Africans saying, well, I want to know more about where I'm from. So I agree that there there is an opportunity. I'm seeing the other companies exploring that area, but we're just not, we're not, we're not big enough, quite honestly, Got it. to do that right now. And there's still so much that has to be done with folks who have no clue. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I absolutely get it and understand it. So you bootstrapped it. And then, you know, speaking of, you know, bigger and that kind of thing, where have, have you have have you sought investors? Are you now have investors or it's, it's still been a business that makes its money, puts it back in the money, puts it back in the business and grows that way? Yeah, we're still privately held. We okay. have not taken any investment. I like to say that Chadwick Bozeman was an investor because in 2018, the week that Black Panther was going to launch in every interview he did, he talked about AfricanAncestry.com and how he had taken our test. So I feel like he was our, he was our <laughs> And now wow, he's an yes. angel investor, right? He was our angel investor. He just, sure. without us even knowing, he, he put us on the map during one of the most, oh, what, what is the word? It was transformational. Word. It was a transformational yeah, time. Period. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. In for Black American culture or for Black yeah. culture worldwide, global yes. Black culture. Mm-hmm. So that happened in 2018. And we got that investment from him. But no, we don't have any investors. We're just growing the company. Ourselves. Okay. Because you know what happens when you, mm-hmm. in, when you take investors, then you have to start doing what they want to do, what they want you to do. 
and you lose a lot of control. Yeah. We've just been very careful about yeah. guarding our our reputation. Yeah, yeah. What about licensing your technology? Is that a potential stream of income or or training geneticists on in your on your product? You know, so just I'm just trying to think of how because you have this gem. And I, mm-hmm. I absolutely understand where you're coming from with, you know, yeah, because special interests in this space are huge. Like there's a huge corrupt force that could could make that happen. But what could be, because I, I want Black businesses to be global businesses and grow. And I know how difficult it is when you are in the, first of all, this kind of space where it's a, a, a kind of a touchy medical health personal space, but then there's also this you know, and I guess it's also based on demand. Like, do we have a lot of demand outside? Do we have a lot of demand for geneticists? Like, but if we don't have a thought of how we get them trained or anything like that, then maybe people won't even think about it. So are there any thoughts on on different ways to grow and disseminate your business model or your way to grow the understanding and knowing that mm-hmm. people gain? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do think so. I think that more so than licensing technology, it would be, you'd have to license our database. Mm. You have to li- access, license access to our database. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, as we expand globally, there's certainly an opportunity to grow faster by partnering with other businesses in mm. other countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Grow faster together, right? So yeah. instead of us trying to start up in yeah. another country, we could partner with an existing company that's already there and sure. functioning well. Sure, mm-hmm. sure, sure. Yeah, and then a- I think we could also grow through other products. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things a friend of mine, maybe three or four years ago, was investing in a, yeah, I guess a testing facility, but basically it was paternity. And that was in Nigeria. So people who wanted to, you know, it was kind of a high-end product, but but yeah, I see where that kind of partnership can bring a whole nother dimension into the understanding of, of genetics. Yeah. 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 You just diversify. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. How exciting. Exciting. So let me take thinking of diversifying, I have my mindset hack question. So we want to know what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack that you can imagine or one that you know of, one that you practice? <laughs> oh, I need to hear all the answers from previous people so that I know how to hack my mindset. That is a struggle, Florence. Um, look, I want to copy off of somebody else's answer. You know... Are you a workaholic? <laughs> yes, ma'am. So, yeah, you know, you know what it is? This is what I'm practicing now. Okay. This is my current mindset hack. Okay. Being still. Ah, yes. That's a perfect one. Mm-hmm. Just stopping at random times, points in the day, and just being still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about how, and this is not at all scientific, but I've been grinding since 2003. And over the course of that time, you know, I've had some breakdowns. I've broken a leg, you know, had torn a, a ligament in my shoulder. And each of those times, I realized that I just kept going and going and going and Mm. didn't listen to my body. And then my body was like, okay, cool. You don't have to listen. We got this. And it'll shut down. Yeah. And so I 
I just the other day was thinking our minds must be like that too. If you're yes. constantly thinking and my, your mind is going, 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 I always have something on in the background. I'm, I'm always thinking I, my, there's going to be a breakdown. It, it just seems like a natural next step that if you don't stop and give it time to rest, that at some point you're going to feel the effects of that. So I've been practicing just being still. That's a perfect one. That's a good hack. Just be still. And that's definitely a hack. <laughs> and literally. And it's hard too. It's really hard. I can imagine. But I, you know, since I, a few years ago, I went to, and I say this a lot, I went to India on a yoga retreat. Mm-hmm. And this is when I finally really learned and understood meditation. And so just having that in my, and not even, I don't need, my stillness isn't even necessarily a meditation. It is just, as you said, like nothing is on and I'm just still. And so, yeah, I agree with you. It does. It makes a world of difference. So we like that one. Oh, good. I hope it works. I, look, I'm just, I'm a newbie at this hack. So we'll oh, see. it does. <laughs> it does. It does. You, you'll enjoy it. Yeah, please do keep us points of it. You'll enjoy it. Okay. So then we talked a little bit about what's next, but what is next for African ancestry? What is next? What's new? What's trending? Where, where are you going? We're going to Africa. Yay. So we launched African Ancestry Family Reunion. Oh, cool. At the very end of 2019. In Ghana, actually. Okay. Um, You're in December twenty nineteen. Yeah. Okay. And then in, and then we all know what happened at the beginning of twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And so in twenty twenty one, April twenty twenty one, we we started we had our first one, African Ancestry Family Reunion to Sierra Leone. Because the country of Sierra Leone is now giving citizenship to DNA trace descendants. Oh, wow. Who can trace a maternal or paternal lineage back to Sierra Leone. Okay. And so we've taken two family groups there. And by the African ancestry family, I mean every anybody who has taken an African ancestry test. And so we've seen almost 200 people get citizenship in Sierra Leone. And so that has sparked an interest. I mean, people already wanted to travel. They said they did. Yeah. But with the year of return and and sort of Africa's popularity increasing, more and more people. And then the citizenship thing during a time where Black people are questioning Mm -hmm. why they live in the United States, Mm -hmm. um, that has really made people eager to explore. And so we're looking at having a reunion in Cameroon, uh, Lovely. In, in Ghana, and uh, we also have Senegal and Burkina Faso in our plans. So that's, that's what's next for us most immediately is Yay. getting more people on the continent. Wonderful. I love it. I love it. That's a great idea. And it's a great, I think that, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So are you, how are you documenting? Are you doing, are you doing any partnerships with media or is it just kind of everyone's social media? Are you doing any documenting on, on these trips? Well, you know, funny you should ask, but mm-hmm. we did do a, a little short documentary uh, on the Sierra Leone trip okay. um, that we aired, I have okay. air quotes, that we aired in November Okay, And so on every trip, we are taking a videographer, but we don't yet have any media partnerships. And so okay, um, something to think about. Yeah, that's certainly a possibility. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. So where, where can people see that, that documentary on your website? 
Yeah, that's actually on our YouTube channel. If you go okay. to African Ancestry's YouTube channel, you can see the documentary there. Okay, wonderful. It's short. It's like about 10 minutes. Okay. And it's, it, it's incredible to actually go back with people to a place that they've never been to before, but that is the place that their ancestors came from. I can't even begin to tell you how powerful watching that mm-hmm. experience is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it's just, yeah. It, it's, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's, thank you for that work because this, I mean, thank you for all of this. It's so awesome. Like it's, we, we know you're a workaholic and need to be still sometimes, but <laughs> so you said you're a workaholic. So what are, what are, so we like to know a little bit more about you when you're not doing African ancestry. So who is Gina? Is she a watcher, a reader, or a listener? What do you, what, what's your favorite? I'm a listener. Uh, music makes me happy. Okay. Okay. And, and so. Nice. I would say listener. What are some of your favorite listens? Who? Well, I, I have to say I'm a 20th century hip hop loving chick. So I'm old school okay. all the way, old school hip hop. We already talked about Go-Go. I just, yep. you know, can't keep still with Go-Go. But I also like to listen to jazz musicians like mm-hmm. Lonnie Liston-Smith and Pharaoh Saunders mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. Sun Ra and Ayers. I don't know. There's something about the jazz greats that, is very soothing, but they were also very connected spiritually, I think, in their work. And it, it comes through very clearly in some of their music. So I'm all mm-hmm. over the place, but most of the time I'm listening to old school hip hop. I cannot lie. Most okay. of the time. That's what okay. I'm okay. To. Okay. Nice. It's two ends. It's like the, the, those that sampled those, because a lot of old, old school hip hop sampled those jazz greats. Exactly. So it makes sense. The progression exactly. of, of your, your listening ear. Nice. Nice. And nice, given nice. my age, you know, my parents were listening to the people that are being sampled. So as a kid, uh-huh. you heard my it. music was the music that was being sampled. Yeah. Right. So it's it's right, very right. circular to your point. Yeah. Yeah, it is. How nice. How lovely. Gina, this has been great. I'm so happy to have been able to get you and sit with you and help with a little moment of stillness, even though we're talking. <laughs> no, it's quite nice. And your voice is very soothing. I have to say it, Nothing is more fulfilling than the way we met. So I was in Ghana, just kind of chilling after the Sierra Leone family reunion. I went to Ghana for another event and then just stayed extra days with Kwaku, who is a alum. Yes. And just ran into you. And he's like, wait a minute, we're all Stanford. And to be talking to you now and to see other connections that we have is very fulfilling. And and it's one of the things that makes my work the most fun because most of the time it's just sitting in front of a computer, but to be able to have these types of experiences also makes it worthwhile. Yay. Thank you. Yes. Thank you too. Thank you. Thank you. So we are definitely putting all of your information in our show notes, your AfricanEntry.com. We're going to put the YouTube channel. Any other um, shout outs you want to give before we sign off? Oh man, no, that's too much pressure. I, what I will, I, yes, there is another shout out. I want to shout out the entire African Ancestry team because I'm the one who gets to come and chill with yeah. folks and talk about the work. 
and I don't do it by myself. And as, as we have grown as a company, our team has grown. And so there's so many things that I don't have to do now because I have a team of people to help manage the business and they do an outstanding job. And so I want to shout them out because without them, we wouldn't be able to have these types of conversations. Okay, that's spoken like a really good boss. Thank you, boss. We appreciate that. (laughs) All right, folks, this has been another episode of Global Citizens. You can catch us with new episodes every Tuesday at www.globalcitizenspod.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Please share, like, subscribe, and send us a note. Check out our show notes for sure because they're good show notes. And until next time, bye for now.